Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, once again, we welcome you to Loving Liberty. I like to think of our conversations with Eric Peters from epautos.com as kind of a reality supplement. And boy, if we ever needed one, I think this week is the week. Eric, uh, welcome back to the show. How are things in here. your neck of the woods? Uh, everything calm and okay? Well, relatively speaking, the, you know, the, f- the fear and the hysteria, of course, continues to saturate and permeate through everything. Uh, however, I do have some good news to report in that there has been wide disobedience, widespread disobedience to uh, Governor Kuhnman's mask mandate, uh, which is um, something that's not being enforced because they haven't got the, the legal authority to enforce it, which is interesting. Uh, they're even publishing that on the signs outside of stores and businesses that say masks required. However, asterisks, if you have a medical condition uh, or other health issue that precludes you from safely wearing a mask, this does not apply to you. Nice. Well, yep. always good to have an out. I know that, uh, you know, the the masks uh, have, have been, uh, I think you mentioned this in your article, it's it's kind of a, it's a, it's a virtue signaling thing for some people. Yep, yep, yep. And it's being presented that way in a very odd way. Fauci said something strange the other day. He said that we should wear a mask, meaning we healthy people should wear masks as a sign of respect which I thought was really bizarre, uh, in the same manner that perhaps we should show respect to people in lunatic asylums who imagine themselves to be Joan of Arc or Napoleon. Are we supposed to salute them and refer to them as Le Emperor in order to uh, convey respect for their, their mental problem? Interesting. Well, or I, I would even think, you know, as a sign of respect, you know, much like you should avert your eyes when the emperor walks into the room. You know, this yeah. is this is a sign of our respect for the pronouncements from on high. Right. No, right, but to, I think even more interesting, though, is this incongruity that we're seeing unfold before our eyes now. Uh, on the one hand of uh, cities being put to the torch, uh, looting, widespread violence that is largely being treated with uh, apologetics and kid gloves. Oh, they're they're just frustrated protesters. Uh, contrast that with. Uh, the spectacle that you and I have discussed and many people have seen of mothers with their kids being tackled and handcuffed for walking their kids in a park and not practicing social distancing. Yeah, that uh, that doesn't sit well. And and there's a definite double standard at play here. I haven't seen uh, you know, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of social distancing among the uh, rioters. They, they seem uh, quite cozy, although to their credit, there are many wearing masks. So I guess they got that going for them. Well, sure, they've got a reason to wear a mask, sure. which is to obscure their identity. Uh, you know, the rest of us are being made to wear masks for no reason, well, no legitimate reason, the reason being really to demoralize us uh, and to foster and create this aura of sickness uh, in order to continue to impose these tyrannical measures that have been uh, foisted upon us in the name of keeping everybody healthy. Well, it's, you know, every time I think this year couldn't get more interesting, um, it's like the universe says, oh, really? Hold my beer. I'm going to show you that, yeah. it, that it can. But I, I hope that people uh, clue into this and notice this disparity. Uh, years and years ago, I, I knew a guy named Sam Francis. He's gone now. He was a big, famous writer on the, uh, on the far right. And, and um, people have criticized Sam for a variety of reasons. But he was a smart guy, a very astute guy. And he came up with something that I remember uh, from way back when called anarcho-tyranny. 
And what he meant by that was that the government is indifferent to certain forms of lawlessness when it doesn't threaten the government's agenda. And we're witnessing that right now with regard to these cities being torched. On the other hand, it will be brutally tyrannical uh, in the most petty and pedantic way toward people who present no, no real threat to anybody. However, they do threaten the agenda of the government. Wow. Well, and, you know, there, there's nothing that illustrates this uh, more clearly, at least to me, than the images of looters pouring out of stores, you know, with shattered storefronts and, you know, arms full of, uh, of merchandise and dozens of riot-clad cops standing just right down the block, 30 yards away, watching, you know, Doing observing. Nothing. Right. Yep. And contrast that with what they've done. Uh, for, I'll give you a specific, specific example in my town. In Roanoke, about a month ago, uh, an owner of a small fitness center, a gym, decided to open his doors because his business was threatened with going out of business because of these lockdowns. So he simply opened his doors and said, look, if people want to come work out, let them come work out. So uh, people came to come work out. And, of course, that very day they sent down the cops in force. Uh, guns, SWAT gear, all of that, and they they shut the place down because of the great horrible threat to the community of people uh, hitting the weights. So in your opinion, how much of what we see in terms of the, the rioting, the burning buildings and so forth, how much of this violence can be tied to the lockdown and how much of it is, is part of, I don't know, another uh, another political agenda? Uh, I think there's synergies here. Obviously, when you have 40 million people who have been put out of work uh, and you have people who have been rendered hopeless feeling because their businesses are gone, they've got nothing to do, they've been cooped up in their places under lockdown for months now, that's tinder. Uh, then you show them a video of a man being murdered, summarily executed in the street, by uh, an armed government worker, and people tend to get angry. And I'm not by any means justifying the riots, and I'm, uh, I'm certainly not saying that some of these people are simply using this as a pretext for their mayhem, but nonetheless, I think it ties into that. Uh, and I think we'd be foolish not to take that into account. Also, I think, um, stepping back in a bit more macro, I think corona fever is waning. I think people are getting tired of it, that this, this crisis about the virus is becoming difficult for them to maintain. So who knows, perhaps it served their purposes and their agenda to let this thing erupt as, uh, as a new crisis to keep people terrified and, and keep all of these things going. Now, I have seen, I, don't, I have not verified this, but I've seen a number of pictures from around the country in the cities where these things are occurring where apparently pallets of bricks were left, oddly, yes. yeah. on streets. And according to what I've read, there was no construction going on. These pallets just sort of miraculously appeared conveniently where people were showing up uh, to start throwing them through the windows of storefronts. Curious, uh, at, at the very least. I, I've seen it, too, and um, I actually saw at least one police department, I think it was in South Carolina, uh, was, was saying, okay, if you see, you know, these pallets of bricks about, please let us know, because we, yeah. we don't know where they're coming from, but we definitely know what they're being used for. Yes. Now, and I have something else that's just local, local anecdotal news. Uh, here in Roanoke, um, I've got a very good friend who knows practically everybody in town. He's, he's been around forever. Um, and he went to the, the protests that uh, went on in Roanoke over the weekend, and he told me, kind of bemused and scratching his head, that he didn't recognize any of the people there. He didn't meet a single soul that he knew, and I thought that was very odd. Interesting. 
Now, this brings us to another point, and this is something I actually wanted to ask you about since I saw the news announcement last night. Uh, President Trump has taken a very, very hard stance talking about, uh, look, you governors either get this under control or I'm going to unleash the uh, U.S. military. And on the one hand, I, I... Nothing provokes rage in me like seeing these um, uh, Antifa types out there victimizing innocent people. It infuriates me. On the other hand, I am not ready to throw aside due process or posse comitatus uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, do whatever you have to do to get rid of them. Yeah, nor am I. I've got a better option. Uh, Why not demand uh, that these governors who have locked down the states and done all these other things they've done using their extraordinary plenipotentiary powers – Uh, use the forces that they have available, i.e. the cops, to deal with this problem. And if not, perhaps there's some mechanism for removing them from office for endangering public safety, just in the same manner that they have been arresting people and closing businesses in the name of public safety. Ooh, yeah. These people are incompetent. You know, their fundamental job, their fundamental job is to protect lives and property. Is it not people's right to have peace, to, to not be assaulted in the street? If they can't perform that basic competence, they no longer have any legitimacy to hold the office. You know, you bring up a good point, too, and that is uh, not only related to the riots, but to the economic damage from these shutdowns, which which it increasingly appears we're not justified. The data has not borne out that, oh, yeah, this was necessary. Is there ever going to be any accountability for those in power who issued and enforced those edicts? Well, there really ought to be. Uh, You know, another good example in this vein Uh, is what Cuomo did up in New York, and I think some other governors did as well, which was to take people who had the virus and put them into nursing homes where where the elderly and the vulnerable are, the people who are likely to die if they get this, just because they're likely to die if they get the flu. They're likely to get pneumonia. They're in their 80s. They're not well. Their bodies can't take much. Anyway, these people acted at minimum in a manner that was grossly, grossly reckless and negligent. I mean the governors and the officials who've done these things, and I think they should be held to account. And certainly they should be held to account for standing by and allowing their cities to burn, allowing their communities to go up in flames. Uh, you know, they've got the authority, they've got the power, they've got these cops who they've been sicking on you and me and everybody else who isn't doing anything to anybody, yet they don't sick them on people who literally, as you just said, 20 yards away are smashing through a storefront, destroying a business and stealing everything inside of it. How does that work? We've got to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. We have Eric Peters from EPAutos.com as our guest on Loving Liberty today. Eric, uh, I, have, uh, I have heard a lot of talk lately about the concept of uh, qualified immunity. And, and this, yep. this is particularly, uh, you know, in, in a pl- application to uh, the police officer who knelt on yep. uh, George Floyd's neck. But uh, talk to me about this, this concept. Maybe you can, can give us a little bit mm-hmm. of a perspective. Where did this come from? Well, uh, it's actually a two-parter. There's qualified and sovereign, and they're largely permutations of the same thing. And essentially, it means that uh, people acting uh, in their role as government officials, this ranges from from cops all the way up the food chain, um, if by their actions they cause harm, it's very, very difficult to hold them personally 
accountable in a civil manner as you or I would be if we behaved in a manner that was reckless uh, and caused harm to someone's person or property. You know, there are criminal charges that can be filed, of course, but you and I would be bankrupted if we if we uh, did something that resulted, for example, in paralyzing somebody um, or or destroying their business through some action of ours. Uh, we could be taken to court and we could be taken to the cleaners. And this is an important thing because it provides a mechanism for holding people accountable. And I see no reason why people who wear government costumes should be held any less accountable than you or I. In fact, there's a strong argument to be made that they should be held more accountable because they have much greater power to do harm than you or I do as private citizens. Is it likely that uh, that the Supreme Court uh, would would rule favorably on this? I mean, typically it tends to be pretty uh, pro whatever the police want they get. Well, sure, it's not just the police. The Supreme Court is basically this this odd juxtaposition that Lysander Spooner, the great libertarian theorist, theorist wrote about, of allowing a government to determine and arbit its own powers and the extent of its own accountability. The Supreme Court is just another arm of the government. Of course, like any organism, it's going to act in its own self-interest and to protect itself. But that's nonsense. This needs to be stopped. Uh, I think with regard to police, if you could hold a cop personally civilly responsible for abuse of authority, meaning you could sue him, like in this case of George Floyd, if his family could sue those cops personally uh, and bankrupt them and their families, uh, that sort of a thing would provide a very, very strong incentive to not stand on somebody's neck and summarily execute them in the street, no matter how much the guy might be a sadist and a bully. Uh, and that sort of thing, I think, is critically important if we're going to have any chance of dialing back this ugliness that's unfolding. Yeah, well, I, I can't help but feel, and I'm sure others feel this way, too, that there's a, there's a lot that hangs in the balance right now. I don't know which way it's going to tip. But uh, but I don't think I've ever felt a greater sense of who we are right on the precipice. Yeah. Sure, we are. People are angry with great justification. I'm angry. You know, I'm angry at watching everybody's business be destroyed by these unaccount- unaccountable government officials. And that gets us back to this this doctrine. I think if we had it in place, this idea that you can be held accountable for your actions right now, uh, people, business owners and others could file civil lawsuits say, look, this was out of hand. This was out of control. You have no right to destroy my livelihood, uh, to destroy my family because of your anxieties about a virus. This has to be stopped, and that's one mechanism to stop it. Well, I I know that uh, sometimes we see unexpected turns come about. I'm hoping beyond hope that there's there's something like that in the works, but uh, for now, Right now, I'm just seeing a lot more dark clouds on the horizon. I expected unrest. I expected there to be, yeah. uh, you know, some some pretty serious friction. But I thought it would probably be closer to the election, you know, and, and not not at the beginning of what some are calling the the long hot summer. Well, these things unfortunately have a tendency to act in ways not anticipated. Uh, I think people listening to our conversation might want to go back and revisit the history of the uh, the Soviet Revolution against the Tsar and what was going on in St. Petersburg uh, in the year 1917. Nobody saw what happened. It, it took on a life of its own. There are these 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 eddies and flows in the current of history that uh, can't be predicted. And once these things are set in motion, very, very disastrous things can happen. Um, And that's what's happening now. People are furious. I think that no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, whether you're left or right, uh, the government is increasingly losing any sense of legitimacy that it ever had. 
people are tired of what's going on. They, you know, they're tired of the lack of accountability. They're tired of the destruction. They're tired of the double standards and the hypocrisy. It's all very understandable. The problem is that the answers that are going to be prevent that are going to be presented by demagogues uh, are going to create problems even worse than the things which have led us to where we are right now. Okay, so let's let's talk about some things that the average individual, the person who's listening to you and I having this conversation, what are some of the things maybe we could or should be doing? Since we're not sitting in those positions of power, but uh, but we still have some choice, and I think we have some influence yes. that maybe we underestimate. Well, first of all, I can't overemphasize the importance of this. Turn off the TV. Stop watching the fear porn. Uh, I, I sample it every once in a while. You'll turn on the TV. You'll go to a website for a mainstream media uh, uh, organization, and the first thing you see is some lurid headline about the increase in the cases, usually accompanied by uh, a close-up shot of somebody wearing gloves or masks to create the psychosis that's going on. Tune out. This stuff is really, really bad psychologically for people. The next thing to do is to go outside and live your life and do the things that you normally do. And uh, thirdly, stop wearing the fear mask. Don't, don't, wear the, don't wear the mask. Don't give in to that. I understand that there are mandates out there in all of this. But at some point, we have to take a stand and be willing to assume whatever consequences come from that. If we allow them to to cement in place this perpetual terror, this perpetual fear, it is never going to end, and we and our children are going to live this way, and that's something I don't want to see happen. No, I completely agree. There's a, there was a great example of this this past weekend. Um, the, the Utah Business Revival, you've heard me talk about it before, mm-hmm. had another event. We actually had a concert scheduled. A country superstar Colin Ray was going to come do a free concert. They were expecting, I don't know, somewhere between 5,000 and maybe a few more people at an outdoor amphitheater. But county officials felt that uh, this would cause an irreparable threat to the public health of, uh, you know, the people of that county. So they went to a judge and they got an emergency order to shut this thing down. It cost Mm -hmm. some of the small businesses that were going to be there for the business market, you know, thousands of dollars. That's right. I think we can learn one thing from the rioters. And I'm going to couch this with a preface that in no way am I endorsing what's going on. However, force does not bow to obedience. So if we stand up and just say no, cross our arms and say no, we're not putting up with this anymore. It is intolerable. It is unjustified. Where do you get off? Where do you get the authority, the effrontery to dictate to us that we cannot do the things that normal people, normal peaceful people who are not breaking any laws, not causing any harm to anybody, where do you get get the ability to do that based on your assertion that somebody might get sick? It has to stop, and we have to stop it by refusing to obey it. I agree. Now, here's the bright side of my story. They had to move the location, and even when we got to the new location, uh, there was a county employee there who came and chased us off or told us, you know, this this has been closed because it's a gathering and you don't have the permits. So we went to a, a park literally next door. And, and she said, well, you can go there, but the cops are going to come chase you off. Well, they didn't. Yep. And about 2,000 people showed up and had a marvelous time. Eric, it is the most normal I have felt in months 
just picnicking with people and and engaging in commerce and we listened to some great music and we felt free and as far as i know nobody keeled over or contracted you know covid19 imagine right that. now that's that's exactly it you know I, I just finished an article about the depressing news that the Antique Automobile Club of America has canceled the annual meet up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. Uh, it's one of the biggest car shows in the country. Not just a car show, it's kind of a swap meet. It's over many acres of land. People bring their cars, their jalopies. They bring cardboard boxes full of car parts. And you just walk around and hang out with other car buffs. And if you're looking for a part that you need, that's a good place to find it. Anyway, they canceled it because Corona. And my response to that is, you know, screw that. Let's find some acreage somewhere, somebody who's got some private property. I'm happy to offer mine up, a field, and let people come on the property with their cars and their, their boxes of parts, and let's have a normal American experience and dare them to send the SWAT team out to try to arrest 5,000 people for going to a car show and swapping parts. Amen, bro. Eric, we're up against the clock. Thanks again for joining us. Let's talk again next week. You bet. All right, welcome back to Loving Liberty. Thank you so much for joining us today. No matter what is going on, no matter the chaos around us, you can trust this broadcast, this podcast, this network to be a source of rational thought and hopefully truth and light. I'm not saying I get it right all the time, but just know that's my goal. I'm not trying to throw more fuel on the fire so much as I'm trying to start a brush fire in your mind to get you thinking outside that approved narrative. So I, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter these days. I Sometimes I find myself drawn back because it really is a great place to find quick and, uh, you know, down and dirty synopsis of what's happening in the news. I can get a pretty good sense of the pulse of what's going on on Twitter. And also, there are some folks who just have the whole concept of, <clears throat> you know, the 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 beauty of brevity. Because you're limited on how many characters you can use to express yourself. So when I saw the tweet yesterday that said, someone has been looting 40% of everything I own for all my life, I had to laugh because I was like, okay, that's that's actually pretty good. You know, We're watching the looters carry their boxes of shoes and coats or jewelry or whatever out of the store windows they've just broken. But nobody really stops to think about who the real looters are when it comes to your life, who really takes things away from you with the sense of entitlement that, hey, that's mine, even though they didn't earn it. So when I saw James Bovard's article on the American Institute for Economic Research website, the title grabbed me, the real looters are the politicians. And I thought, there's a truth I think we should be speaking about, maybe a little more often. James Bovard says the brutal killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police spurred widespread protests, which have been followed by looting in dozens of American cities. CNN's Don Lemon compared looters who plundered Neiman Marcus and other upscale stores stores to those at the Boston Tea Party. But far more Americans likely agreed with uh, Quinta Kaler, a black North Carolina nurse on Twitter, who denounced the looters who thugged out in one day businesses that owners had worked long and hard to build. Now, there aren't any solid estimates yet of the total damage from the looting and burning that's occurred in many cities across the nation. Total losses may range in the tens of millions of dollars, perhaps even hundreds of millions of dollars. And the pillaging has been especially ruinous to many small family-owned businesses, some of whom may not have insurance to cover their losses. 
Bovard says many cities have responded to violent rampages by imposing curfews and other severe restrictions on movement. Many such edicts are remarkably similar to the shelter-in-place COVID dictates, dictates rather imposed by many state governments. And while the city curfews are a reflexive response to rioting, the unprecedented statewide quarantines appear to have had scant impact in curbing the contagion. For instance, in Portland, Oregon, <clears throat> James Bovard writes, rioters have broken into Portland's main mall in downtown and began looting the Louis Vuitton. Youths ran out with designer bags. They shouted about expropriation, as Andy No tweeted. But that state suffered far more from Governor Kate Brown's edict that banned residents from leaving their homes except for essential, essential work, buying food, and other narrow exemptions. And also banned all recreational travel, even though much of the state had few, if any, COVID cases. Almost 400,000 Oregonians have lost their jobs after Brown's shutdown. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, looters pillaged a shoe store and many other businesses. But he says the damage they inflicted was not even pocket change compared to the wreckage produced by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She prohibited anyone from leaving their home to visit family or friends. Whitmer severely restricted what stores could sell. She prohibited purchasing seeds for spring planting in stores after she decreed that a non-essential activity, unlike buying state lottery tickets. Though COVID infections were concentrated in the Detroit metropolitan area, Whitmer shut down the entire state, including northern counties with near zero infections and zero fatalities, boosting unemployment to 24% statewide. In Louisville, Kentucky, looters attacked the Omni-Louisville Omni, uh, Hotel and other businesses. But that isn't why the Bluegrass State has the nation's highest unemployment rate at 33%. That's thanks to Governor Andy Bashir's shutdown order that paralyzed the state, even though COVID's impact in Kentucky has not been worse than an average flu season. That according to Senator Rand Paul, who, by the way, is a physician. <laughs> Just pointing that out. In the District of Columbia, looters pillaged an Apple store. I'll bet this is about the COVID contact tracing in the latest upgrade. Quipped one wag on Twitter. <laughs> but Washington Mayor Muriel Bowser has inflicted vastly more damage on the city with a lockdown order that helped destroy nearly 100,000 jobs. In Richmond, Virginia, looters pillaged many black-owned businesses as well as torching the headquarters of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Local damage is far outweighed by Governor Ralph Northam shutting down the state economy for more than two months, including vast swaths of the Old Dominion that had few, if any, COVID cases, helping destroy more than half a million jobs. In Rochester, New York, looters ransacked the Villa Shoe Store and many other businesses and brutally beat a female store owner seeking to defend her small business. New York City also saw widespread looting, but more than 2 million New Yorkers have lost their jobs since Governor Andrew Cuomo effectively put almost 20 million people under house arrest, a drastic step that he said would be justified if it saves just one life. Most counties had only a smattering of COVID cases before Cuomo caused profound upheaval in the lives of vast numbers of his subjects. Also, unlike for Cuomo, there's no evidence tying the looters to the 5,000-plus deaths in nursing homes. James Bovard goes on to talk about how in Minneapolis, looters plundered stores and restaurants on East Lake Street, a well-known haven for black and Latino-owned businesses, as well as burning down the nation's oldest independent science fiction bookstore. A black former firefighter was left in tears after looters ravaged the sports bar he was planning to open. 
Governor Timothy Waltz's statewide shutdown decree helped destroy nearly 400,000 jobs, including that of George Floyd, who lost his gig as a bouncer after the governor's order shut down the restaurant where he worked. So Bovard says most of the media coverage reciting the official narrative that the shutdowns were vital and justified has ignored the human carnage of the COVID shutdowns. Almost 40% of households earning less than $40,000 per year have someone who lost their job in recent months, according to the Federal Reserve. Politicians destroyed much of the economy in the name of risk reduction. Unprecedented restrictions on personal and economic freedom were justified in part by Federal Centers for Disease Control fatality forecasts that turned out to be widely, wildly exaggerated. Now, some leftists on Twitter urged the looters to go after national chain stores like Target and avoid small family-owned businesses. Politician, politicians issuing COVID shutdown decrees followed the opposite standard, effectively padlocking small businesses, while Walmart and other large stores easily received the essential bureaucratic holy water, and Amazon practically won the lottery. So the recent riots may have destroyed hundreds of businesses, but James Bovard says forecasts predict that millions of businesses could be forced to close or file bankruptcy because of the pandemic disruptions. He says the people who pillaged stores in recent days deserve vigorous prosecution, and the deluge of Twitter plundering in progress videos could make it easier to identify culprits. Now, it remains to be seen whether mayors will have the gumption to throw the book at the thieves, but it's even less likely that politicians and other government officials who inflicted far greater damage on the economy will ever be held liable. And that just, I don't know about you, that that really troubles me. Because I think there should be liability on the part of those politicians. And I know it may sound like a witch hunt. Okay, Brian, we get it. You're angry. You just want to see somebody. Anybody has to suffer. But back up for just a second and let's let's consider what, what James Boulevard is pointing out here, I think, rings true. Most of the economic damage that we have seen in the last few months has been the product of pronouncements by various politicians at various levels who, either relying on faulty or incomplete data, doubled down and kept lockdowns or these phased openings in place that kept people out of work that could have been working. Should we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, I guess uh, nobody could have known. Except you have some instances of places like Sweden or Japan that didn't shut down their businesses, that didn't take that, uh, that we've got to destroy the village in order to save it mentality. Did I read correctly? Sweden actually saw economic growth in the first quarter of this year. I don't know if they're the only country, but it is worth noting that uh, they were one of the only countries in the world that didn't uh, initiate lockdown on a good portion of their population. I know it's tough for politicians to admit they were wrong. Part of the uh, aura of of power is that sense of infallibility, that sense that, uh, no, really, they believe their own press releases. I can solve any problem. You people need me. I'm here to remind you why you need me. But, man, I would sure love to see a politician with the humility to say, okay, we got that wrong. Let's lift the restrictions. Let's do what we can to make people whole and learn from this. But I'm not holding my breath. I don't think anything like that is coming anytime soon. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back in just a moment. 
Hey, once again, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, wanted to share a little article here from Annie Holmquist. This is from intellectualtakeout.org. The underlying reason for our present chaos. She has some great analysis here. And she says things always hit harder when they're close to home. She says maybe that's why waking up to images of a burning Minneapolis is rather painful. Twitter shows images of blazing buildings, looted stores, while masked rioters and bystanders roam the streets. By the way, she says those COVID masks seem to have come in handy. Now, she says, I've driven and walked those streets. I know people who live in those neighborhoods. Unfortunately, it's those innocent people who will most be hurt by the riots, looting, and the burning of their neighborhoods. I know it. They know it. Annie Holmquist says the injustice wrought on George Floyd was terrible. And the offending officer should be prosecuted, given a fair trial, and punished if found guilty. But she asks, is this chaos really the best way to deal with tragedy? Sadly, the riots in Minneapolis and Los Angeles are just the latest examples of unrest in America. Restless from being cooped up by COVID lockdowns, feeling the economic squeeze, and fearful of the virus, Americans seem ready to explode at the drop of a hat. Add in anger over our leadership's behavior and media censorship, and the perfect storm seems to have developed in America. How did we reach this state? Was there a point where we took a wrong turn? Author and historian Will Durant offers insight on that question in Volume 1 of The Story of Civilization. He says, Institutions which at first were in the hands of the clergy, like law and punishment, education and morals, marriage and divorce, tend to escape from ecclesiastical control and become secular perhaps profane. The intellectual classes abandoned the ancient theology, and after some hesitation, the moral code allied with it. Literature and philosophy become anti-clerical. Now, Annie Holmquist says, in essence, when our society's major institutions, such as marriage, education, and law, cut ties with their moral foundations, their results are problematic. Looking for other moorings, society becomes chaotic. Back to Will Durant, Quote, the movement of liberation rises to an exuberant worship of reason and falls to a paralyzing disillusionment with every dogma and every idea. Conduct deprived of its religious supports deteriorates into Epicurean chaos. Life itself, shorn of consoling faith, becomes a burden alike to conscious poverty and to weary wealth. In the end, a society and its religion tend to fall together like body and soul in a harmonious death. End quote. I've forgotten how much I enjoy Will Durant's writing. Annie Holmquist says, In recent weeks, we've seen churches shuttered due to COVID-19 restrictions. Just this last week, Minnesota Governor Tim Walsh allowed bars and restaurants to reopen for up to 50 patrons, calling them integral to what makes Minnesota great, while at the same time restricting religious services to no more than 10 people. Interesting. She says, While Walsh eventually changed his tune, his initial decree provides a sad indictment of how little our society values religion and morality. Given Durant's words and their similarity to our present culture, she asks, are we on the verge of seeing our country's downfall? If so, is it still possible for us to reverse the present sadness, injustice, and chaos by returning to the roots of morality and faith, which are so vital to a joyful, thriving society? Okay, I think that's a fair question. Actually, I think it's a brilliant question, and I don't know the answer. I hope that we, I hope that we can, but I know a lot of people are feeling pretty despondent right about now. Hopefully, I'm not doing anything to feed that despondency. It's all hopeless. I guess we'll all go jump off a cliff or something. 
wanted to share with you that this is audio from a video um, from the urge to rule. And this is I found this on lourockwell.com today. A fantastic little video. And this, I believe, is from. Sorry, I want to make sure I give uh, proper credit where credit's due. This is from realclimatescience.com. I don't know the name of the guy, but he'll tell you here at the beginning of the video. I want you to give a listen to what he has to say. This is fascinating stuff. Hello, this is Tony Heller from realclimatescience.com, setting the record straight about a lot of things. H.L. Mencken said, the urge to save humanity is almost always only a false face for the urge to rule it. Power is what all messiahs really seek, not the chance to serve. A few months ago, climate crazies in Australia blocked the streets for weeks. They kept people from getting to work. They kept people from shopping. They kept ambulances from coming through. Their goal was to completely disrupt civilization. This was allowed to go on by government for weeks because it was said that they were exercising their legitimate and inalienable right to protest. And a few months later, government gave the protesters exactly what they were asking for. Everything was shut down and people were denied the right to work. This woman in Sydney was protesting the fact that she was not being allowed to work and earn a living to feed her child. Despite the fact that she was holding a peaceful protest and was not doing anything to disrupt other people, the police showed up, arrested her, and traumatized her child. Suddenly, the inalienable human right to protest no longer existed. So let's ask the question, why did governments allow the climate protesters to shut down everything in an incredibly disruptive protest for weeks, but not allow this woman to make a single peaceful protest? The answer is simple. The climate protesters wanted to give the government more power, and by contrast, this woman was protesting what she believed to be government overreach. This woman wasn't a threat to public health or safety. All she wanted to do was feed her child, but she was a threat to government power and control. This is exactly what H.L. Mencken was saying. Leftists aren't saving the world from an invisible greenhouse gas molecule. What they're doing is seeking power. Now let's come across the ocean to the United States. Three weeks ago, this Dallas salon owner was arrested for trying to feed her kids. The activist leftist judge sentenced her to a large fine and jail time. Trying to earn an honest living to feed your family became a crime in both Australia and parts of the United States. The right to protest and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness suddenly became illegal. Leftists pretty much described anyone who violated the rules of tyranny as being mass murderers. A few days ago, one of my best friends was physically assaulted by another customer in a Colorado supermarket. His crime was not wearing a mask. There was no mask rule in the supermarket, but this customer took it on himself to save the world. To their credit, Whole Foods Market caught the whole thing on tape and offered to file charges against the perpetrator of the assault. Leftists in Colorado have taken it on themselves to save the world from an evil virus and make sure that everybody obeys their rules. But then suddenly, the next day, everything changed. The left suddenly had a new excuse to shut down cities and destroy civilization, and social distancing rules no longer mattered. Apparently, the virus knows not to go after social justice warriors. These people don't get arrested for violating social distancing rules and group size rules. Only people trying to make a living to feed their families get arrested. Yesterday, Antifa officially declared a race-based war on America. Somehow, the virus and social distancing no longer mattered. The left is not trying to protect civilization from carbon dioxide. 
and the left is also not trying to protect civilization from a virus. What they seek is power and control. I've been around leftists my entire life, and I've seen that they're willing to change their opinion as many times as necessary to retain power. When I moved to Boulder, Colorado 25 years ago, lots of people had question authority bumper stickers on their cars. But a huge shift happened after Barack Obama was elected. Suddenly it became the rule that you were not allowed to question authority anymore. If climate fraudster Michael Mann says something, it's not allowed to be questioned. It doesn't matter how ridiculous or dishonest his statement is. The press and the political left treat this clown as some sort of god. Leftists are involved in a lot of really dangerous things right now. These things are uncomfortable to look at, and many people have chosen to close their eyes and pretend they don't see them. 225 years ago, Edmund Burke said, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And history shows us that's exactly what's happened every time evil has won. Good men felt uncomfortable and chose to look away. A long time ago, I made a decision that if information I was receiving made me feel uncomfortable, I would not run away from it. Rather, I would take a look at it closely and try to understand exactly why it was making me feel uncomfortable. Being unafraid is the only way to get to the truth and stop the spread of evil. Over the past 12 years, my pursuit of truth has been extremely costly. But that's a decision I voluntarily and happily made because I'm determined to do whatever I can to stop the spread of evil. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't feel like I was doing the right thing. Come join me and Toto at RealClimateScience.com. We've been pulling back the curtain on junk science and propaganda for a long time. Some great stuff there. I really appreciate the uh, the quotes from H.L. Mencken, who I think was actually one of the greatest truth tellers of the 20th century. And, uh, you know, Edmund Burke is no slouch either. Does it ring true, though? Do you see the double standard? I know it's not uh, you're not going to get popular by pointing these kind of things out. And as the as as the speaker was just saying here a moment ago, being a truth teller is uh, is costly in some ways. It will it will limit you in terms of your job advancement. It will limit you in terms of your social acceptance. I don't know. Maybe your, your Twitter feed will blow up. The ratio will work against you. But it's worth it. We need people who will tell the truth, even if their voice shakes when they do it. That's what the world needs now more than ever. This is Loving Liberty. 